Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Elsana Lloyd, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's episode features a roundtable discussion on whether or not appraisals are the next big opportunity in mortgage fulfillment. During this conversation, Brian Zinton, the co-founder and CEO of Regora, and Jonathan Kaur, the former president and CEO of Ellie Mae, also discuss how appraisals are evolving and why lenders should be thinking about valuation right now. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Want to give your customers the streamlined mortgage experience they expect? Fannie Mae's digital mortgage solutions are fast, efficient, contactless, and they save paper. Our digital mortgage solutions provide efficiency for you, convenience for your customers, and deliver a great experience at every stage of the mortgage cycle. Own the mortgage experience with Fannie Mae's innovative solutions. Visit FannieMae.com slash go digital. Welcome, everyone. We're about to get started with our Lunch and Learn session on appraisal. When our Lunch and Learn team asked if I would moderate this session today, I jumped at the opportunity. I've had my eye on Brian Zitten and Regora for the past few years, especially as appraisal issues have come into the spotlight during the pandemic housing boom. Appraisal gaps, the shortage of qualified appraisers, slow appraisal turnaround times, appraisal bias. These are all issues that have slowed down or killed real estate deals from coast to coast. Then six months ago, Regora appointed mortgage technology legend Jonathan Kaur to its board of directors. To me, this move emphasized that mortgage tech and appraisal tech are completely intertwined. If the appraisal is a bad experience, that reflects poorly on the mortgage lender, not necessarily on the appraiser or appraisal management company. Today, Jonathan and Brian are joining me for a discussion on all things appraisal. Now, without further ado, I'll kick us off with Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan, it's been a year since you've retired from Ellie May. What have you been up to in that time? Yeah, so uh, it's it's been a year since I retired. I've, I've really been retired probably since earlier this year because um, I did a, a continued advising my my former colleagues and being a sounding board. So. Kind of did that, but um, I've taken the opportunity to do a bunch of different things. I'm on on a uh, some different boards, uh, both private and public, uh, even on the board of a SPAC right now. Um, I've been doing some in, investing, um, both uh, on the venture side and and, and private equity. Um, actually, been working on my golf game, and that's actually been uh, been coming down uh, in terms of. Right, getting down to mid single digits, and I've been uh, been playing a lot of piano, um, and uh, that I still need to be working on more. I'm not; it's not getting the same place as the golf game, but you know, I'm really enjoying things. I'm even um, involved in some different uh, philanthropic endeavors, so um, it's been nice. I have to quickly follow up on this on the SPAC uh, part of that answer. Uh, is it is a SPAC that's focused on acquiring a, a company in housing tech or uh, not necessarily defined yet. 
The the charter is a, a little um, a little broader than that. I mean, it is a it's now it's a public spec now. Um, we went public in uh, March, and you know uh, the the uh, sponsors um, actually one of the, the gentlemen, Steve McLaughlin, is uh, founder of uh, probably one of the best well known fintech investment banks. So likely fintech uh, technology services, but it could be enterprise software as well. Really interesting, uh, and and so you're you're here with uh, with Brian today, uh, and you're you're you, you've decided to get involved with Regora as, as a member of its board of directors. Tell me how that how that came to pass. Um, well, you know Brian is a bit of a a pest. No, no, he's persistent. Um, <laughs> no, so I've known Brian probably I don't know three or four years, probably a little bit after he started the company. Uh, we got together um, at uh, MBA, I think it was, and we had a uh, we had breakfast. Um, and I uh, I was impressed in terms of his persistence to reach out and just connect, and really um, was uh, was impressed with uh, what he had done as an entrepreneur. Um, he and Will. Um, you know, starting out of their, uh, their, their university dorm room at, at, at BU. And, um, you know, unlike some um, mortgage tech, fintech players I've seen, which have come at it with a, a bit of arrogance, you know, uh, technology arrogance, as opposed to really understanding the industry. You know, one thing I, I think I've seen from Brian along the way is he's he really is focused on the customer and the market and trying to solve a big problem, um, you know, a problem that's been around for a while. And uh, he is, uh, he, he knows where his, uh, his weaknesses are, his strengths are, and he's a, he's, a, he's a good listener. So, you know, it was kind of an interesting dynamic. He asked me a number of times to, to get more involved. And, you know, as I talked more and more to him um, after my, uh, my so-called retirement or pre-retirement, as they as they say, um, I decided that uh, I'd, I'd love to get involved in and help out and advise. So that's how we got together. So I've been I've been on the his board since early this year, I guess. Yeah, persistence is a, the hallmark of a of a great entrepreneur, Brian. Yeah. You know, wh- why did you decide to 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 look at appraisal and appraisal technology? As the as the entrepreneurial challenge that that you wanted to solve, you know, back you know when you were in school, I guess. Well, it was it wasn't the first thing that we had actually landed on. We we started off doing real estate brokerage and uh, using some you know technology to source deals in a little bit more of an efficient way than than the traditional broker would. But you know, it wasn't super scalable, and so we we actually uh, Jonathan mentioned my co-founder Will. We would literally like have a whiteboard of the entire real estate process from A to Z, um, you know, mapping out all the different verticals and and fintechs and who was in the space and what was right for adoption and things like that. And then also was getting broader experience, you know, just doing transactions because we were brokering uh, deals. So you know, Inwalks and Appraiser with the clipboard, classic like you know, really manual, old school workflows. Um, and so we just kind of dove in and, and went from there. And then, you know, as we learned more and more about how much there is to improve the industry, just kept, you know, seeing how big of an opportunity it is. So definitely wasn't something that, you know, I woke up as a young eight-year-old boy thinking that I would automate appraisals, but, you know, we kind of fell into it based off of just learning more and more about everything. What was the, what was the reason that you were looking at real estate overall? Actually, 
our our other college roommate who is not part of the company, but he, he just lived with us, our, one of our best friends, his dad owned like a $40 million mobile home park in upstate New York. I was pre-med. Uh, we're like, wow, that seems like way better. He never went to college. He's like, well, that seems way better than going to med school until I'm 30 something. So real estate was always like the area because it's really, it, I think it, I think real estate honestly embodies like entrepreneurship the most out of any industry. Um, and so I think, you know, it's one of those things where like the more you hustle, the more you can do. So it, it was always in the cards for us. Jonathan, you built up, you know, the biggest LOS uh, while you were at Ellie Mae. Um, and so you have a, a, a good familiarity with with mortgage tech and where appraisal fits into the into that workflow into the mortgage lending workflow. Um, you know why, why is appraisal important uh, to, to to the mortgage side? Well, uh, you know I think in, in the end, you know the, the, it's all about when you know it get down to its basics. Um, you know we're trying to figure out right can the can the borrower. Um, you know, uh, pay for the loan, right? Are they willing to pay for the loan? Creditworthiness, that aspect of things. And then is the collateral, right, that's going to go against the loan, um, you know, what is it valued at? You know, is the lender um, going to be protected if for some reason the consumer doesn't pay that loan? So, it, I mean, it's, it's the two components is the creditworthiness and the collateral. Um, so it's key. It's it's absolutely key. Um, and, you know, I'd say that if you look back over time and cycles and so forth, you know, one of the, the things that probably, you know, hurt markets over time and, you know, obviously in 2007, 2008, you know, coming through the meltdown, it was about, you know, this view that, you know, houses will go up forever, valuations got out of hand. Um, and you know, it brought down the market and it's, it's obviously a bunch of things came out of that. Um, you know, uh, the CFPB and HVCC and Fannie and Freddie. So it is a, a cornerstone and, you know, it really hasn't changed much. So Brian, you, you come at that question from, from the appraisal end of the technology spectrum, you know, how, how would you how would you uh, add on to that that answer by Jonathan in terms of where appraisal fits in the workflow and in, in the overall mortgage fulfillment process? I think I think the appraisal is really unique because it's really you know you may be able to type, you know type into a, a couple other things, but it's really the only part of the mortgage process where you have to send a physical human somewhere. Everything else has been you know much more kind of. Um, digitized, you know, you know, income verification, asset, blah, blah, blah. You know, all this stuff is kind of exchanged electronically. Appraisal, you have to send someone to a physical location to look at something, at least on a big portion of these transactions. And it's also one of the main things that is outside of the control of, of the lender, the borrower, you know, for the most part. So it's this big anxiety ridden part of the process where it can really affect the loan from a borrower standpoint, loan officer standpoint. Um, and it's this like difficult logistics challenge because there's a finite number of appraisers and, you know, much larger demand. So I think it's just to Jonathan's point, one of those parts of the process that really hasn't been significantly upgraded compared to everything else and remain. I mean, everyone's favorite expression is the long pole in the tent. Of, that's of, of, that's of mortgage, exactly. So. I was going to say that, Brian, it, it yeah. is the long pole in the tent. Right. And, you know, it, it's it, you know, fundamentally. 
you know, you could take things out of that. That has a big impact on the timing and the experience for the consumer. So recently at, at, at NBA, um, Sandra Thompson, the interim director of, of the HFA, FHFA, announced that desktop appraisals will become a permanent part of the appraisal process, at least for the loans that the, the, that the GSEs look at. Um, so does that potentially mean that we don't necessarily need to send somebody out in the future? Or do you think that there will always be a place for, for in-person appraisals? And Brian, maybe this we can start with you on this one. So I think that the way to think about these alternative types of products like desktops or anything else is on the you know spectrum of risk, where if we have you know a big pie of different types of loans, on one you have you know Texas ranches with very similar identical homogenous you know uh, comparables, good loan to value ratio for the borrower, good credit, all that sort of stuff. You know, to Jonathan's point earlier, the risk of like the collateral piece affecting the larger loan is much less. And so on those types of loans, we could, you know, do an appraisal waiver or or a desktop where, or, you know, something where we don't need as stringent as an underwriting process. But on, you know, some other big percentage of orders where it's not as easy and straightforward, you probably are still going to need that, you know, higher level expert to come in and make sure, you know, that the value is is as accurate as possible. And so will it chip away at like the pie of, you know, orders that require a full appraisal? For sure. Will it have a much larger impact beyond that? Like we we don't know yet. I think that's going to be up to the FHFA, the GSEs, the risk models, you know, all the numbers that they're seeing and, and how they want to manage risk. And that'll kind of ultimately determine what the uh, frequency with which these alternative products end up end up bringing to us. It's, you know, what I think is very interesting is, you know, we've gotten obviously the, the PIWs, the desktops, you know, obviously full appraisal. You know, it's it's interesting as we're trying to do more different products for different scenarios, it's actually becoming more complex for the lender. I mean, the consumer obviously doesn't see anything, but from a lender's perspective, you now have just a change in the process and you've got to, how do you adapt based on what comes in? I think that that actually is interesting in that we're we're getting towards you know some elements of ease easier, but then we're adding complexity. I think the other challenge still is, and why I, I think that there is going to be humans involved in much aspects of valuation for quite a while, is the fear of fraud. And you know, the idea that I got to do something to make sure that even if I've got the valuation, all this input, and the borrower puts information in. How do I know they haven't um, done something to the property? Because that, that's what I'm worried about as a lender and even as a subsequent investor that might buy that asset. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. When I, I heard that uh, when, when uh, Sandra Thompson made that announcement, the, the, the audience actually broke out into spontaneous applause. Um, <laughs> so it seems like people, people are looking for some, some more tech to get infused into this process. Maybe because of my next question, which is, um, you know, when you when you look at the lender perspective, uh, mortgage lenders that I talk to um, are, are really concerned about turnaround times when it comes to appraisals, uh, especially in you know in rural areas or areas that may not have a, a, enough appraisers. Um, uh, so, so Jonathan, uh, 
when we talked about this during our, our, our dry run, you, you had some historical context here for this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I've kind of been, you know, touching the industry for about 20 years. And it's one of those things where it's kind of like since my beginning of time, that's always been the complaint, right? It's like it, the, the appraisal takes too long. Um, and it, you know, it's, we've gone through cycles. It's probably gotten a bit longer since 2009 when the HVCC came out and we added a layer to take out the concerns about the bias that happened then, right? So that you, you took the loan officer or the originator, you know, further away from the process of, you know, touching the appraiser and coordinating. And so what it's actually done is forced, um, you know, the need to have a better flow of technology and communication and so forth between, between all the players. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me, the answer is definitely where I saw things going after the HVCC and where I think, you know, Brian and the team are going because it's like making it incredibly seamless from the home of the lender, the LOS and their system of record, making it incredibly seamless for the consumer and, um, and, and uh, the appraiser, because, you know, fundamentally we've put some kind of barriers in there. So we've made it kind of worse. Um, and it always kind of gets extended when the market um, volume increases, right? Because as you said, there's a limited set of appraisers out there. So by definition, demand supply, you're going to have that, that result. So I, I put a, a a request for questions in the in the chat, and we're getting a lot of really good ones. So I'm gonna kind of detour in and out of our plan questions and some of these great questions that I'm seeing coming in on the chat. Please keep them coming. Um, so on that sort of a follow up on appraisal turnaround times and the technology associated with it, uh, Brian, do you have any speculations around when we'll see autonomous or or drone type inspections? Yeah, that. I, I went down the drone rabbit hole um, like years ago and, it, you know, unfortunately, like it'd be very cool, but unfortunately there's too much red tape from a regulatory and, and law standpoint. There's like so many things in terms of like where you can fly drones, how you can do them, who you have to register with, the FAA, like all, all this stuff. And so sometimes appraisers use drones for like big commercial properties or things like that when you like can't physically get to somewhere to see but there's no world, at least anytime soon, where like a drone is going to replace a human, you know, on the vein of like autonomous inspections, like part of the reason why the, um, you know, appraisal hasn't been automated is, is two things to Jonathan's point, number one, fraud. And number two, like the internal characteristics of a property contribute significantly to the value. And so you have all this like satellite technology or like airplane driven photography, but, you know, but you need to understand the internal characteristics of the property. And so like someone has to physically open the door, someone has to walk through and do that stuff. And so what the future, the questions for the future are, you know, does that have to be an appraiser? Does that have to be a third party to John's point about fraud? Or can it eventually even be, you know, the borrower or the broker, depending on if the technology gets good enough, right? So I think those are the considerations for kind of the inspection element. And that ties back into yeah. the, the turn time thing as well. 
which is, you know, in my mind, and Jonathan, you know, to, to summarize Jonathan's points, and I, I pretty much agree, the turn time problem is really three issues. Number one, upfront, the like, so, you know, software and workflow processes at the lender, all the way from the borrower paying to someone pushing an order button and, and everything in between. Like, obviously, that just needs to be cleaned up and, and be um, seamless in order to, to get things going. The next is the actual like fulfillment allocation. So, HVCC, just the fragmentation in the industry is pretty, you know, outstanding. Like hundreds of AMCs, tens of thousands of individual appraisers that are mostly sole proprietors. And so if I'm a lender in Boston trying to order an appraisal in this particular neighborhood, I don't know, like there could be an appraiser coming there tomorrow for some other loan, but I don't know that. And so all the logistics are very, no one has done the Uber style thing yet. We're, we're working on the Uber style approach. Um, but that that's definitely not the reality today. And then, you know, the third thing is obviously the supply, right? And so you can either try to bring new appraisers in the industry or supplement appraisers with some third-party workforce. And so I think that's what, you know, a lot of the efforts are on today. And, and actually, it's interesting, you know, you, you, Brian said something there in terms of the second point. And, you know, nothing against uh, appraisal management AMCs, right? You know, they, you know, a lot of them do really tremendous work. But... You know, the movement to them after the HVCC went in place, you can just think about it structurally, right? And that you've basically added an, another layer that people are going through, right? You know, whether it adds value or, or not, and obviously it adds a little value in the case, it just adds more to that process and another kind of uh, friction point, right, between the consumer, the lender, and the appraiser. And obviously we had to do something because there was issues with bias, but you know, are there ways we can kind of squeeze that down quite a, a little bit? Yeah, let's 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 actually follow up on that um, and, and talk a little bit about AMCs. Uh, we've done quite a bit of reporting about, about AMCs over the past couple of months. Um, and when we talk to appraisers, uh, you know, by and large, they they complain that AMCs don't don't add much technology. They take too long uh, to pay, uh, and they take too big of a cut. Um, uh, we, we sort of heard that universally from from appraisers. Brian, I'd love to get your perspective on that. Do you think appraisers have a, a legitimate issue? I think that you know, like any industry, there are good and bad players. Like it, appraisal is one of those things where if you do the job amazingly imperfect, you get like nothing, you had a pat on the back. But if you do the slightest thing wrong, everyone hates your guts and you're the worst person ever, right? So um, I think that there certainly are bad AMCs out there who don't treat their appraisers well, try to suck out like any portion of the fee that they can and don't provide a ton of value. But there are also, you know, good appraise, I mean, uh, good AMCs that do provide value and do pay their appraisers on time and all that sort of stuff. I think there's, appraisers are a very vocal bunch. And so, you know, the ones that are probably talking to you are probably the ones who've had those bad experiences. Um, so I think it's like that, that definitely exists. And, you know, whether it's the minority of majority of AMCs, I, you know, I don't know, but it's, it's probably a little bit of a generalization, uh, and but, then, but legitimate, but, but definitely legitimate as well. Getting to another part of that, uh, of your previous response, um, you know, just the lack of, of, of appraisers um, and particularly in, in some rural areas and, and other parts of the country. Um, Brian, what, what do you what do you think we can do about that? What's what I mean? The, the average appraiser is uh, is in their fifties, uh, in their late fifties. Uh, 
Um, and there, there are only, you know, maybe 50, 60,000 of them across the country. Um, what do you think we can do to, to, um, to, to bring young folks into that industry? I think there's um, a few things. Number one is there's definitely a lot of barriers to entry to become an, an appraiser right now. You, you used to have, a co- have to have a college degree. You have to put in a bunch of hours of work. You have to become a trainee before you become a licensed appraiser. Um, when you become a trainee, you don't make any money. Uh, it's very difficult because appraisers are so busy, so they can't take on trainees very easily. Um, although Fannie and Freddie allow the use of trainees on appraisals, there's still a bunch of controversy from some other, you know, secondary market investors uh, who who don't want to use trainees. So the 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 kind of inbound funnel to becoming an appraiser is very challenged and difficult. And so there are a variety of like movements happening. Uh, one of them is called I don't know how to pronounce it, but Perea. It stands for the Practical um, Applications of Real Estate Standards, that sort of thing. And basically, you know, you can become on track to become an appraiser without necessarily needing like a supervisory appraiser and going through that whole, you know, on the job trainee route. And you can do more of like a simulated version of that. To my knowledge, though, that th- that really hasn't taken off, and there's not really any substantial programs out there yet. Um, and the other thing has been this big push for, yeah, to bring trainees into the market and, and, you know, Fannie and Freddie have put out recent like educational pieces around like use trainees, use trainees and stuff. Um, so yeah, I think there, there, you know, there just needs to be kind of more education and in impact about trying to become an appraiser. And then the other approach is like, all right, let's just, we don't even need like appraisers technically. Can we create that third party workforce of, someone else, you know? And so I think that's the, the, the other prong that people are trying to attack as well. Yeah, I think the, the other thing is that you just think about it from a young person's perspective, right? You know, if they do some research around this, this industry, they're, they're, they're hearing different things, you know, appraisals, you know, could reduce the amount of stuff that they're involved in. You know, it's, it's a market that potentially it doesn't have a, a, a right future. And that's not necessarily the case, but how do we educate? How also, I mean, you know, young people want to use technology, right? And so, you know, how is technology being used? How is it being embraced um, by the appraisal industry and appraisers? Because the fact is, again, if, if that's not the case, you're not going to attract young people if they don't see an opportunity to use technology and see a future. Yeah. So on the tech issue, um, you know, from, from my perspective, uh, you know, sort of the media perspective, um, you know, mortgage tech um, is, um, is somewhat behind some of the other industries um, and, uh, uh, that, I've, that I've looked at. Uh, and appraisal tech is even behind mortgage tech. Um, so how, how, do we, how do we catch up? Uh, and Brian, I'll, I'll start with you since you're you're building a platform that that uh, mm-hmm. uh, is is going to help us catch up. But what do you think we need to do to, you know, get young people excited about the industry and, and like Jonathan said, bring bring some more tech into it? Well, I think that number one, I mean, and this is one of the first questions that you asked. I, I think that, you know, people need to understand that yeah, like that role is not going away. Like this is not going to be automated. If you join now, it's not going to be like a fruitless endeavor and and a in a bad career decision, right? I guess, you know, even if desktops become more of a thing, honestly, desktop appraisals are probably, if you think about like the remote, um, you know, movement, 
I'm, I'm sure that a lot of young people would love the idea of being able to stay in their home all day and not have to go and drive to a bunch of different properties and just do analyses, you know, from their home with good tech. Right. And so I think that there's definitely like an education component of like explaining what the future looks like and why it can be good for people. Um, and then number two is like, yeah, you know, if you look at, to your point, like the previous appraisal technology, like the user experience isn't exactly amazing. And so, you know, if, when you have appraisers and folks who are nonstop action all day, every day, and it, now you have this like difficult software, new thing to learn that can be a hurdle. And so you have to make it like as easy as possible for someone to adopt and, you know, show tangible benefit in their day-to-day workflow. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to do that. So I think that's why we haven't really seen a ton of it yet. Um, but, you know, I think appraisal is getting more and more of a spotlight and, and more of these changes are coming. So I think it'll, you know, continue to improve. Thank you for listening. And to hear the full conversation, head over to housingwire.com slash webinar. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing HousingWire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Elsina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.